We're going to have three readings tonight from the book of Hebrews. So you need to have three fingers in Hebrews. The first will be from Hebrews chapter 1, which is on page 1201. The second will be from Hebrews chapter two, uh, chapter 3, sorry, which is on page 1203. And the third will be from Hebrews chapter 13, uh, which is on 1212. So the first reading is from Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, page 1201. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. The second is Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 to 11 on 1203. So, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, when your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And the final one is Hebrews chapter 13 on page 1212. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 and 8. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. Amen. Thanks for reading that, Sarah. Well done for flicking around. If you can turn back to the first reading, uh, Hebrews chapter 1, back to page 1201, that would be brilliant. Uh, We are finishing up a little series thinking about how God guides. Uh, And we said what we'd do this evening is, I'm going to try and make the sermon a little bit shorter. get nervous when preachers say that, but hopefully it'll be a bit shorter. And then we said we'd have a bit of time, if we want, for some questions and answers from the front. So we'll try and make a bit of time for that at the end, just to see if there there are questions that people would like to ask, if if that would help. Let me pray for us, and then we'll We'll start what we're going to uh, look at this evening. Father, thank you. Thank you for what we've been thinking about already from your word. Um, as we've thought about guidance, as we live in the world you've made, uh, wanting direction for the steps that we take and the decisions uh, we have to make, please help us again this evening. As we listen to your word, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, we're, we're thinking about guidance, but spare, spare a thought for the more directionally distracted amongst us. You know the kind of people. I came across this story on um, the BBC website. It talked about a tourist who was on holiday in Melbourne, Australia, who was on a mobile, walking along, checking messages coming in on various apps. Let me just put this up a bit. Um, checking her mobile for messages coming on various apps, as you do. Didn't notice that she'd walked onto St. Kilda's pier in Port Phillips, Day, for, uh, Port Phillips Bay. It looks very nice. She didn't notice the end was approaching looking at her phone, engrossed in some detail, she missed the big picture and she took a final step on the solid ground of the pier and her first onto the unsupported expanse of everything that was going to come beyond that. Looking for guidance uh, from her phone, but just unprepared for where she was going. The good news, the good news, she was rescued. Hooray. She apologized. And the Victoria State Police issued a statement saying, There will be no need for a lost property report as the woman kept hold of her mobile phone throughout the entire ordeal. That's good news, isn't it? I mean, you've got to get your priorities right, isn't it, when you fall off a pier into the water. Um, And we've been saying our our picture of God's guidance is often not, not big enough. We're tempted to feel the details are a bit like this. Remember this amazing diagram I did last week? It's kind of like we're, we're trying to get somewhere in life and we've got questions. We're wanting to know how we're going to get to the next thing. And we're asking God if we're Christians, but we want guidance, but God's not connecting. That's how it feels like. We've got questions about jobs, next stages, relationships, but it feels like God's not connecting. Yet the Bible says, look, the picture is bigger, both in terms of where we need guidance to and how God guides. And we said it's a bit more like this. Look at that, that's another amazing picture, isn't it? We've, we talked about God as the glorious covenant shepherd. He is the king, but he's the gracious savior who in Jesus has saved a people for himself with a purpose in mind. Taking them from hell to heaven, from death to eternal life, and he is always guiding. God is always guiding because he's sovereign and eternal. He can't be doing anything other than that. He's always guiding for his own purposes. And the Bible talks about two big kind of ways uh, theologians might sum it up like this. By by his invisible hand of providence and by his word that we have in the Bible, God is directing, directing creation and his people towards his glorious purposes. And last week we saw also kind of drawing on those two things in between them as we looked at James last week, God also wants to give wisdom Uh, to his people. He wants to guide us to become wise decision makers. You think about all those things, God's providence. It's been a reassurance for Christians throughout the centuries because it says in all things, in all things, God's guiding his people in all the ups and downs. And that's a reassuring thing, isn't it? When you hit problems that are difficult and you wonder what's going on, to know that there is a God who's always guiding, but it's also humbling. God's providence is a humbling thing for us because when someone says, my life would progress better, my life would progress better if I had a different job, a different marital status, a different financial situation, different health. God's providence says to us, do you know that? Do you really know that? That in bringing you to the goal he has for you, there's someone who will 
enjoy, as persons who he's bringing to enjoy the glory of Jesus forever throughout all eternity? Are you saying God doesn't know how to make your singleness serve that destination? Or the difficult decisions you face or the sadnesses you've encountered? Do you really know better? That if Jesus shed tears at Lazarus' grave and sweated drops of blood before he went to the cross, that your tears and anguish in his hands can't serve your future joy and glory. And God's providence would say to us, do you want to take those responsibilities out of God's hands and hold them all for yourself? And you become responsible for your final destination. Do you have that knowledge? Or will we bow before him and say, I don't know how you'll do it, but you've promised and I'll trust you. Like God's providence is a reassuring and, and a humbling truth. It humbles and it comforts. Now, while God's providence is, is always guiding, without our cooperation, without us even knowing how he's doing all these things, it's always guiding us. God also guides by his word. And we're to cooperate wisely with that as he guides and we're thinking about that tonight, the, the place of God's word. In our reading from Hebrews, it, it kicked off talking about how God speaks to us. And these are some things we want to get clear. If you're back in Hebrews 1, it, it's this, look, God has spoken by his son. The writer tells us, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. And if you've read anything of the Old Testament, you're you can think of them and your mind runs through some of those Old Testament stories about dreams and visions and audible voices and angels. But our writer in Hebrews, in verse 2, there, there comes a change, doesn't it? Where he says, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, the Lord Jesus. And that's everything about him. He means everything about him there. His life, his words and teaching, his death and resurrection... And a writer in Hebrews says, look, this message that's come through Jesus, it totally trumps anything that's come before because of, it trumps everything that's come before, any other kind of message from God, it trumps that because of who Jesus is and because of what he's done. That's verse three, isn't it? You just have a look at it there. He says this, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. In other words, everything that can be known about God, it's made known in the person, life, words, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus makes God known as fully as he can be known by us. But he goes on. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Old Testament priests, when they had the tabernacle and the, the temple, Old Testament priests offering the sacrifices forgiveness, for forgiveness, they were always on their feet yeah, because their job never came to an end. There was always more sacrifices that need to be offered. But Jesus, our writer tells us, he sat down because the job's done. It's finished. It's completed. In other words... A writer saying to us, right at the beginning of this book, Jesus tells us everything we need to know about God. 
and about how to be included and remain part of God's saving purposes. That's the message we have through Jesus. Now, we're not around to see and hear Jesus, but it's the message that we have in the Bible. We, we might want to understand it like this. We could say it this way. That the Bible is a finished word because salvation is a finished work. Or you could put it this way. Put this up on the screen if you can see it. There's no more God has to say because there's no more God has to do. God has said everything in Jesus. He said everything we need to hear in order to know God fully through Christ and in order to be brought into his saving plans and to be kept safe in those plans, directed through life. Now, I guess someone might say, but look, look if, if that's what you're saying, that God has spoken this word and that's all we need, well, doesn't this leave us with a kind of impersonal, distant interaction with God. Well, no, here's, here's the next thing. And if you could turn over to that second reading, Hebrews 3, I think it's just over the page. I'm going to try and go through this reasonably promptly this evening. Here's the next thing. Look, God has spoken through his son, but a writer wants to tell us, no, God continues to speak through his spirit in the Bible. All through the book of Hebrews, and you can find this in other places of the Bible, but we're just going to stay here tonight. All through Hebrews, this word about Christ comes through the Scriptures. He quotes various passages, and this one is from Psalm 95. It's written, it was written by King David hundreds of years before. But just notice what he says in verse 7. You see that? Sarah read it for us. So as the Holy Spirit says. And that tells us a couple of things because it was King David that wrote this psalm down hundreds of years before. But our writer's telling us a couple of things. It, it tells us what the human authors wrote was also what the Holy Spirit said. There's kind of dual authorship going on here. That's what he's telling us. What, what David wrote is it's what the Holy Spirit wanted him to write. It's what the Holy Spirit said. And it also tells us what the human authors said. David wrote that hundreds of years before, and he died long since before. What the human authors said, the Holy Spirit continues to say. That's why a writer says, so as the Holy Spirit says. Present tense. It's ongoing. To say things of lasting importance, you need to say things of eternal value. Most of the stuff we say, I say most of the stuff, like some of it will be remembered. Most of the stuff we say won't be remembered. Maybe someone years from now in your family will remember something you said, but most of the stuff we say, it will go. But to say things of lasting importance, you need to say things of eternal value. And that's what God has done in Christ. And what God has said about Jesus, he continues to speak and re-speak through the Spirit in the Bible. So I think that means if you want to have an unquestionable encounter 
with the Holy Spirit of God, a writer would say, then put yourself somewhere where God's word about Christ is being presented to you. And you're hearing the voice of the Spirit speak to you. Or even as you sit at home, I don't know if you've thought about this, even as you sit at home, maybe tomorrow morning, and you open up your Bible and you're half asleep, your eyes are kind of bleary and can't quite focus, and you begin to read the Bible, this is saying, God, by Spirit, through the Word, is speaking to you. There is no connection problem in God's communication with us. God has spoken by His Son and continues to speak through His Spirit in the Bible, these words about Christ. And let me take that further. Let me drop another idea in for you, and you might want to ask some questions about this. I think we want to say as well, God has not promised to speak in any other way to us. He has not promised to speak to us in any other way outside of the Bible. Now, you might want to sit up for a moment. Because I think you might want to say, or some people might want to say, well, hang on a second. Hebrews has already told us God has spoken in various ways. Not just with the Bible. There's all those angels and dreams and visions and all those kind of things. And even in the New Testament. Even in the New Testament, is that you, you can tell me some of them, I'm sure. There's stories about angels, visions, audible voices. David, when you say this, aren't you limiting God? Aren't you just limiting him to the Bible? That's a good question. You might want to ask some more about that. That'd be a good question to ask, but let me tell you what I think is a helpful way to think about those kind of things. What are we meant to do is we read parts of the Bible like that where some quite amazing things seem to happen, unusual things. Here's a good way to think about it. I think reading the Bible is good to ask. Is what we're reading, is it prescriptive or is it descriptive? And what we mean by that, is it telling me something that's meant to generally happen to most Christians in normal life? Is it prescriptive? Is it showing me something, this is what should happen? This is what should happen all the time, really. Or is it describing something that happened to some people for a specific purpose? And when it comes to these other ways of of God speaking... So I think when you begin to read through, let's say, the New Testament, and you look at some of these maybe unusual things, and you ask yourself serious questions about them, the the kind of answers you come up with is they're not actually frequent. They're not kind of happening every day. They're not that frequent. And also, they don't seem to be universal. They don't seem to be happening to every Christian that you meet in the pages of the New Testament. And I think the other thing is, as you read them, in the most, for the most part, they're not usually asked for. Certainly not in terms of guidance. Uh, they don't seem to be things that uh, people in the Bible are asking for direction in this kind of way. So one example, I'm going to put it up on the screen, but I think it'll be, it might be too tiny to read. You need to have really good eyesight for that. If you've got good eyesight or you bring binoculars to church, you might be able to read it. Let me read it out for you. It's, it's part of Acts 16, and it's about a vision Paul had. That is tiny, isn't it? That's ridiculous. I can't even read it. Uh, but I've got it written down here. So let me read it for you, and you can just follow along. Um, it says this, Paul and his companions traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, 
having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to, so they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia to help us. Unusual thing there. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave from Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel there. So uh, something quite strange happens. But I think as you read the narrative, you see what's going on about the way Paul makes decisions. He doesn't seem to be making decisions all the time. On the basis of visions, he makes decisions. He tries to go one way. It doesn't seem to work. He, he tries to go another way. It doesn't seem to work. But he's made lots of decisions. They discuss things. They plan. They move forward. But on this occasion, something different happens. His journey's being blocked. I don't think he knows why, but they're interpreting. God seems to be stopping them. And then without him seeming to ask, he doesn't ask for it. He has a vision during the night which gives some guidance. But Paul doesn't seem to be making his plans expecting guidance in that kind of way. So I think I want to say, uh, while God can do that, I don't want to limit him and say he can never do that. God can do what he wants. I think we want to say in terms of guidance, while God can do that, we, we shouldn't expect God to guide that way. And certainly for most of life, Now, we don't need him to guide that way because we have his word in the Bible. Now, you might still be thinking, that's all very well. Um, But the Bible is quite a tricky book, isn't it? Sometimes I read it and I'm not sure what to do with it. Saying God guides by his word, I still find that difficult with the decisions I've got to make. Oh, yes. I'm not surprised. And there's all sorts of reasons why that might be true for you. So the last bit flicking. We turn over to that last um, reading we had from Hebrews 13. Let me find the page. I think it's 1,212. And here's this, here's a final idea. God gives leaders to help us hear and see God's words. It's an interesting little verse, isn't it? Hebrews 13, verse 7. It's one of those ones, I think if you were reading it, you could kind of just pass over it. But pause for a moment and you realize it's quite helpful. Here's what a writer says. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. I don't know if you play chess at all or had played chess I used to join the chess club at school I was rubbish at it so we invented a new game called nuclear chess where you just flick the pieces at each other see if you could knock down someone else's I I knew that wasn't the way chess was meant to work but I could never think far enough ahead but you you know the way chess works it's, it's just you sitting there and you're trying to puzzle out what's the next move what do I do? And if I move this piece, what's going to happen with that piece? And there's no one else there really helping you. It's just you. But I think a writer is saying to us, I don't know if chess had been invented then or if he knew, but he would say to us, living for God, it's not like being in a chess match. 
with you having to figure out every move sitting on your own. It's hard making decisions. It's hard growing in wisdom. No, he's, he's put us in a church family and his plan is to include in that leaders who will not only speak God's word to you, but over the course of the years as you're part of a church family, model for you, living that out in the ups and downs of all the decision making we've got to do. And I don't just mean the the clergy at the front, but leaders in home groups and your youth leaders and all those kind of things who will speak God's word to you and model it so you can see it. And you follow through some of the logic of this letter. It's not everything that Hebrews is going to say to us, but part of the logic, logic of this letter is a God who has spoken by his Son, who continues to speak that word, through his spirit in the Bible and provides for you a church family and leaders who will help you hear and see God's word in day-to-day life. And if you come and ask the question, how will God guide me? I want guidance and direction from God. How will he guide me in life? What will help me become a wise decision maker? Navigating life, cooperating with God as I'm I'm held by his hand of providence. Well, it's by his word. Listening to it with the help of mature Christians. Do you want God's guidance? That's the question for us. It's not will God guide me, it's do you want God's guidance? will make use of these means. Read his word, listen to it. Be around mature Christians who can help you apply it to the decisions you've got to make. Now we've got about four minutes um, before we have um, some time for some questions. I just try to think about like, decision making and this next diagram I'm going to put up in a moment it isn't perfect I was just trying to figure out ways of thinking about God's word as we make decisions and you can see what you think of this here's four categories can we have these up can you read those everything's too tiny tonight can I even see them ah here we go look here's here's four categories we'll start on the left and move over to the right so Here at the center is, look, God, this message about the Lord Jesus, our saving king, God guides by his word in the Bible. And what do we mean by that? Look, here's here's four categories of thinking about, I think, some of the ways that the Bible speaks to us. Here's the first one, top left, commands of prohibition. A bit wordy, but you know what I mean. There's, There's parts in the Bible where the Bible says, look, don't do that. It's pretty clear. Exodus 20, do not murder. There's no ambiguity about that. If you were thinking about murdering someone, the Bible says, don't do that. You're not to do it. Do not steal. Whatever way that means. Whether it's illegally copying something or taking somebody's car, you're not to do that. And there's various passages, we could go to Matthew 19, where the Bible seems to be saying to us, don't distort God's pattern for relationships in marriage. Or you come to Colossians 3, where amongst a list of things, and there's different things there, don't be greedy. There's, within God's word, there's commands of uh, prohibition. You're not to do that. If you're wanting guidance from God about decisions and wise living, there's things where God says, you're not to do that. 
But then there's other things, I think, as you read the Bible, where there's positive commands requiring wisdom, that we grow in wisdom to apply them. So in Luke 10, where we're told to love your neighbor. If you have a neighbor who loves the sound of the bagpipes early in the morning, a good way to love them would be to play those bagpipes at five o'clock. Most neighbors won't feel loved by that. You need to grow in wisdom. How do I love my neighbor? The people in my church family. God tells me to, to love my neighbor. He wants me to do that. I've got to think about, well, how's God going to guide me in that? What, what is the way I should do that? Or Matthew 6 will say, love your enemies. And that will require wisdom, won't it? What does that mean? He, he follows it up, the Lord Jesus, and pray for them. That might be one way. Or Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives. And you might think about the way that needs to be applied. God, would you give me some guidance? Sure, husbands, love your wife. And think wisely about how you're to do that. As we read God's word, there's, there's positive commands that require us to grow in wisdom as we apply them. And then there's, uh, I might say, top right-hand side, issues of freedom and conscience. There's some areas of life where the Bible seems to think it's a matter of freedom. You really can make your mind up about that. Within reason, you can, you can just make a choice. And in terms of God's big plan, it'll be okay. He'll hold you in his providential care. So you read passages like Romans 14. It seems to talk about your diet vegetarian or meat eater it's okay you can make choices about those if you want to be a vegetarian that's all right if you want to eat meat it seems to say that's okay as well there might be other things to consider but you can choose about that 1 corinthians 7 getting married if you're free to do so the way god says well you can but you don't have to (laughs) So if somebody says to you, I feel God's told me that we should get married, and you're thinking, oh gosh, I don't think I want to marry you. But if God said, no, no, it's all right. God says, you don't have to. You can make a choice about that. Or if you're someone who thinks, do you know what? I, I don't think I do want to be married. That's all right. You can make that choice. There's, there's issues of freedom and conscience that the Bible directs us to with that as well. And there's things like that. And then this last one, I can think of a good way to put it, but I put it this way, spirit-renewed thinking. Let me try and explain it. I'm not sure that's the best title uh, for it. And what do I mean by that? Well, Well, it's just that while I don't expect unexpected dramatic guidance, I'm not living my life expecting guidance that kind of way. I do expect that as we read God's word together in the power of his spirit, he's going to be renewing me even in terms of how I think and feel. So in 1 Corinthians 5, you can ask me for these references if you want later, um, but Paul will say in terms of his mission, for the love of Christ compels us because we're convinced that one died for all. There's something about the gospel. Paul was saying in the, the way that Jesus has come and given himself for people, it's affected me deeply. And now my kind of instincts go that kind of way. I'm just drawn to to live this kind of way. On 1 Timothy 3, Paul says this, here's a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer 
Um, a, a church leader desires a noble task. God can be changing our ambitions. You know, I just feel I'd love to do this kind of thing. We shouldn't be surprised by that, that God can be guiding us that way. Or again, back in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 8, Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, and he, he says this to them, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches in the midst of severe trial, their overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Here's a desire to be generous. It seems to be, we just feel we want to give some money to people. Is that God's guidance? I think the Bible would say, yes, that can be. God works in us that way as we've been reading his word and understanding the gospel and changing our ambitions, even our emotions about how we feel about things. He begins to guide and direct us. I've just had an idea. I thought I would love to do that. I've always wanted to do this. Maybe that is God just changing my ambitions. They're just... Some examples of a kind of, I guess you could call it a subjective feeling. Maybe it's from God, this. In love, I want to speak to these people. I've noticed an ambition to serve in some way. I feel I want to give generously. And as we're listening to God and his word, we should experience his guiding hand in those ways as well. Now, what I want to say about those is we must give most careful attention to the things on the left-hand side. We listen to God's words what he says. Pay careful attention to those. Because I think we live in an age where we too easily think in terms of, I'm free to make my mind up. And whatever I feel must be what God wants me to do. So we're not to be overly led by those in the right. We're meant to check those very carefully, but we should take note of them. Um, so here's some little examples. Um, maybe you're in a relationship and you're asking this question, should I marry this person? I think as I think through these kind of things, well, are there any prohibitions? Are they someone who's married already? And I probably shouldn't do that because God says, no, I shouldn't marry someone who's already married. Are they not a Christian? If I'm a Christian, well then, no, I shouldn't be married, marrying them. God's word says that. Are there any wisdom calls in God's commands? Wives are to submit to their husbands. Husbands are to sacrificially lay down their lives for their wives. Am I going to be able to respond to God's call to do that in this relationship? If I'm going to marry this person, that's what he's calling me to. Issues of freedom. Do I want to get married? Um, I make a choice about that. I don't have to. And then maybe in my renewed thinking... Am I excited at the prospect of being married to this person despite my nerves about it? Uh, can I see godly ambitions being fulfilled in being married to this person and sharing life together? We, be, we ask God for his guidance and his word speaks to us and begins to direct us as we think and respond in the context of a church family. Look, I had some other things down here as examples, but time's going on. Thinking about Jobs that are difficult. How do we think about that? God's direction in that. Should I do a gap year? How does God direct me as I think about those things? I'm going to pause there, though, because we said we'd have some time 
for questions. Time's going on, and we will, we will do that briefly. So here's, here's the thing. We've had a couple of questions. Here's the thing. Just take two minutes. Chat to your neighbor. See what you think about all this. That's been a lot to think through this evening. And just chat, and then I'll come back up in a couple of minutes, see if we've got any questions, and we'll talk for a few more minutes before I hand back to Darren, and we finish. So just chat uh, with your neighbor for a couple of minutes, see what you think, and see if there's any questions that you'd like to ask. That went on,